0: Sing about Holy Spirit today. We're just going to release His presence in this place as we worship. Come, Holy Spirit, and inhabit this place. Let's celebrate our freedom. This, is, this i yeah. where i lay it down every lie and every doubt this is my my surrender this is my surrender this is my surrender this is my surrender so spirit break out come and break our walls down Come
1: There we go. All right. Better. Hi. Good morning. Hey, a couple of things I'm going to let you know about before we dive into our our passage this morning and begin to kind of unpack God's word for us. If you have one of these bulletins, I want to let you know about a couple of things that pertain to this summer and particularly that are pertaining to those of us who have kids. First off, VBS is one of those things that we look forward to every year. Last year, obviously, we didn't get to do it because of COVID, but it has been a really big deal. And yet... One of the things that has really changed for us as a church over the last couple of years is our vision of what our job is to be as a church. What our church is not here to do is try to gather people into this box just to be the brightest light in this place. Our job as a church is to equip you to go be the lights in the sphere of influence that God has planted you specifically in. And that begins to have real time effects on the things that we do. For instance, rather than doing trunk or treat, having four or five hundred people coming to our parking lot, but pulling you out of your neighborhoods, we're saying, hey, go and be in your neighborhoods and take the same amount of energy that you would have spent there loving on your neighbors. We have 4th of July coming up. Rather than doing some gathering here, what if you were to do a neighborhood potluck or something, some sort of a barbecue with your neighbors, people that are in your life? And when it comes to VBS, we want to take the same approach. Because here is what I have found over the last several years. For like the last decade, I've been doing VBSs here. And what I have found is we have lots and lots of kids from lots and lots of other churches whose parents want a week of free babysitting. They're sending their kids here, which is wonderful. I love getting to do life with them, but the reality is there's no ongoing relationship with those kids. We're spending a lot of energy ministering to those who are already in a church community and we're missing out on all of the kids in our spheres of influence that have never and probably will never step foot into this building. So how can we equip you to go to those kids and create relationships that can be sustained with people that are already in your life? And that's how we are rethinking VBS this year. So if you're interested to know how you can be involved in VBS, in your own sphere of influence, I would encourage you to talk to Sherry right after church. She's gonna do an informational meeting. It's not gonna be long. She's gonna have some food for you. If for some reason you already have plans and you can't make that but you're interested, on the connection card in your seat back in front of you, just indicate that you have some questions and would love to talk to her and she'd be happy to reach out to you this week. So that's the first thing. The second thing on the inside of your bulletin is this kids' night out. This is for our kids. Sherry wants to be able to have a wonderful evening on Friday, June 4th, a time for your kids to have fun. So parents, sorry, this isn't for you. That night, you guys are going to have to do something like go out to dinner together, have a conversation, maybe go for a walk on the beach. I don't know. You figure it out. But this one is for your kids. You can drop them off here. There's no cost involved. So ah, make a date of it or something. Okay? So that's what we got going on. A couple of things I wanted to let you know about now. I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 7. We are going to continue a conversation or a story that we began last week. And it's a story that takes place around the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. But most of us are probably not familiar at all with what the Feast of Tabernacles, or in Hebrew it's Sukkot, actually has to, what what it's about. So let me just take a few minutes and give you some broad brushstrokes. The Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Sukkot was a time commemorating when God led the Israelites through the wilderness toward the Promised Land. And all along that way, He provided for them. And they would live in these kind of temporary shelters that they would put together with sticks and stuff. And so to this day, Jews continue to celebrate this Feast of Sukkot by building tabernacles or sukkahs out in their streets. If you were to go through Jerusalem during the seven-day feast of Sukkot, you would actually see all of these kind of things in the street. They will go there and they will eat dinner there. They will sleep in there. They will, have, they will just kind of do life for a week and they will remember God's provision. And this is a seven-day thing. And, and it's built off of Leviticus, something that God said in Leviticus, Uh, So in Leviticus 23, he said, live in temporary shelters for seven days so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt, for I am the Lord your God. So that's what the Feast of Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles is about, is remembering God's provision and his direction as he led them to the promised land. So this is coming up for Jesus and his brothers, as we talked about last week. Started saying, hey Jesus, if you, you know, I know you could celebrate this here in in Galilee, but since word is that you're something special, we think you should go to Jerusalem because your disciples need to see you and the crowds need to see you. You need to get this hyped up. They weren't saying that, however, because they thought that he was something special. They were saying that because they didn't think he was something special. And they were hoping that some of the air would be let out of Jesus' balloon that had been kind of inflating. They wanted to see their brother humbled. And so they're kind of egging him on. And as we talked about last week, Jesus said, hey, listen, guys, my timing's not the same as your timing. For you, any time works. But this is not yet my time. And for him, in the back of his mind, he's thinking about... What God is going to have him do six months later during the feast of Passover, when he would enter into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey with the shouts of Hosanna, and he would leave Jerusalem, dragging his cross to Skull Hill, where he was crucified for our sins. That is what he knows is coming. And he goes, it's not yet my time. So his brothers take off. They head to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jesus waits in Galilee, but then God impresses on his heart that he needs to go. And so he follows later, and he gets there about halfway through the feast. Meanwhile, there's been conversation going on with all of the crowds in Jerusalem because Jesus' name has begun to, to get a little bit of notoriety. And people are talking about him, and that's where we're going to pick up the conversation here in verse 11 of chapter 7. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? And amongst the crowd, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. And others said, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. So so there's a lot of conversation going on, but it's all whispered between people. Because apparently, Jesus is a pretty polarizing character. He's the kind of person that if they were to openly talk about him, they're afraid they're going to get their hands slapped or something worse. You know, we can think of polarizing people in our own community. Jesus was even worse than that in this Jewish community. And so people, although they wanna talk about him, although there's lots of like, who is he, what is he about? I wonder what he's gonna do. Remember the last time he was here? Remember how he took on the Pharisees and they were mad at him because they healed that guy? And then Jesus turned the tables on him and said, no, you guys are the ones who misunderstand the Sabbath because it's about setting people free and you guys are all about keeping people enslaved to the law. I wonder what's gonna happen this time when he comes. Is he going to come? Where is he? So all of this is going on, but it's all hush-hush because they're afraid that the Pharisees and the other leaders of the Jewish people are going to come down heavy on him if they openly talk about him. Verse 14, it wasn't until halfway through the festival that Jesus went up to the temple courts and began to teach. The Jews, when they heard him, were amazed and began to ask, how did this man get such learning? without having being taught, without having a formal education underneath the rabbi. And, and, and so as soon as Jesus shows up, about halfway through the festival, the people, obviously the crowds start forming around him, and Jesus is teaching and There's just something about the way he teaches. He doesn't teach like the other rabbis do, where all they do is quote other rabbis. Oh, Gamaliel says this, and you know, this rabbi said this. Instead, Jesus taught as one who had authority in and of himself. He spoke words as if they were the words of God. Where does his education come from? Now, just just in order to kind of move through this quickly, because there's a lot in chapter 7, and I don't want to belabor the middle section, so I'm just going to kind of sum up the give and take between Jesus and the people. There's three questions they ask and three answers he gives, and all three of those answers are the same. Where did you get your education? From God. Where are you from? I'm from God. And by the way, where I'm going, you can't follow. Well, where are you going that we can't follow? Back to God, right? So so that's kind of the give and take of chapter 7. I would encourage you to read that middle section on your own at some point. But now we're going to skip to the last day, the very final day of the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And before we get there, before we start reading that verse, let me just let you know about another detail of the feast of tabernacles it's going to be really helpful to understand and that is building shelters was not the only thing that was unique to this festival they also had a a water held a really important place in the feast of tabernacles every single day during the feast of tabernacles the there would be a ceremony it would be a water ceremony where the jewish leaders would make their way down from Temple Mount down to the Pool of Siloam. Now, for those of you who went with me to Jerusalem two years ago, you might recognize that kind of entrance way. That is the entrance to the Tunnel of Hezekiah. We got to walk through the half a mile tunnel of Hezekiah that leads to the Pool of Siloam. That's where we put our shoes back on, where they're standing right there. Okay? So this was the place where they would go every single day during this festival they would take a golden pitcher and one of the priests would dip it into the pool of siloam and he would take that pitcher of water and he would begin to walk back up to the temple and they would kind of walk up those steps that those of you who are with me we got to stand on those steps and the doorways have been filled in at this point but there were all of these gateways can we show the next picture So they would make their way back up the steps and as they were doing it, some of the Levites, some of the temple workers were blowing trumpets and other people, the crowds that were coming to participate in this water festival would be singing the Psalms of Ascent. There were specific songs they would sing as they were going up Temple Mount. That is Psalms 113 through 118. So they're singing those Psalms of Ascent as the the priest is carrying this golden pitcher of water. And he would carry it up on a Temple Mount. And he would go to the altar and he would pour the water out. Now, what is the symbolism of this? Why was he doing this? Why the water ceremony? Well, again... This is reminiscent of, this is celebrating the time that the Jews were led by their God into the promised land in those 40 years that they spent in the wilderness. So not only were they celebrating by building tabernacles to to kind of commemorate their time in the wilderness, but they were remembering the time that God was providing water out of a rock. All the times that God made sure to nourish them and care for their their basic needs as they made that journey. So water was really symbolic. The pouring out of that water was symbolic of God's provision and protection through the wilderness. But there was also some element of a prayer for God's pouring out of his blessing upon the people. And in fact, a couple of Israel's greatest prophets... Ezekiel and Zechariah spoke about God pouring water into, his, into Jerusalem and it pouring out of there as a symbol of God's blessing. In fact, can we put uh, the, the passage from Zechariah up there? So this is from Zechariah 14. On that day, living water will flow from Jerusalem. Half of it will go to the east, to the Dead Sea, and half of it to the west, to the Mediterranean Sea. In summer and in winter... The Lord will be king over the whole earth, and on that day there will be one Lord, and his name the only name. So this water ceremony was both a looking back at God's provision, but it was also a looking forward to the time when God would pour his blessing out on his people, specifically by bringing the Messiah. And Jesus shows up. On the seventh day, the most important day. In fact, it is the day where they did this water ceremony, not once, but seven times. And Jesus shows up and he totally reframes that water ceremony. So let's keep reading now in verse 34. Where did I go? There we go. Oh, actually, let's skip down to verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood... And said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Because up until that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So do you see how Jesus is reframing a, very, a symbol that they would have been very, very familiar with. The water ceremony was a hallmark of this festival. Obviously, everybody who's made the journey to Jerusalem, they're going to want to participate in the water ceremony. And of course, the seventh day is the most important day. You get to go and see it up to seven times if you want. And Jesus shows up in that place and says, hey, you guys are praying for God's blessing to be poured out on you. I am the source of that living water. I'm the one that you have been praying for. If you want this living water in you, all you need to do is come to me. Now, obviously, John makes sure that we understand that when he's talking about that, he's not just talking about water. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, the the provision of God's Spirit in them, the same Spirit that has empowered Jesus through his earthly ministry, and the same Spirit that will ultimately raise him from the dead, that Spirit can be present in us. And that spirit can pour out of us. We'll talk a a little bit more about the spirit momentarily. But let's keep reading. Verse 48. Because Jesus is is kind of polarizing and the people have a hard time. They're they're not sure what they're going to do about this. So on hearing these words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet that Moses told us about. The one that would come after him and continue his work. Others said he's the Messiah, he's God's anointed redeemer. But still others asked, well, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and be from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus, the people were divided because of Jesus. Some of them even wanted the, the, the temple leaders to seize him, and yet no one laid a hand on him. And so in Jesus doing this, and I, I find it hilarious, by the way, that Jesus wanted to keep a low profile, that he tells his brothers, now it's not my time, right? It, that's coming a little bit later, your timing, whenever. And yet, this is not the way to keep a low profile. Jesus is not kind of staying under the radar when he walks right into the thick of this festival and takes the very central component, this water ceremony, and reframes it to point at him. And it's yet another reminder to me that Jesus was never presenting himself as just a wise teacher. He never presented himself like Mr. Rogers. I mean, you don't crucify Mr. Rogers. Jesus was polarizing, and the things he said were polarizing, and this is incredibly polarizing. You want God's blessing? You want living water, these streams to be flowing in you? Well, I am the way that you are. Attain that in your life. So if you want that, come to me. And people are divided over him. Some of them go, you know, he's my Lord. This is the one I've been waiting for. And others are, no, this guy's a lunatic. Or this guy's just, this guy's deluded. He's lying to us. And so again, the people are divided. And those who have a knock against him, those who think that Jesus couldn't possibly be the prophet that Moses talked about or the Messiah that God was going to send, that they've been waiting for centuries for, they point to where Jesus comes from as the biggest knock against him. Wait a minute. We know this guy comes from Galilee. <laughs> Can anything good come from Galilee? Uh, we've been told by the prophets that the Messiah is supposed to come from the house on the line of David and come from Bethlehem. Well, here's the thing, though. We know as readers and John's readers know where Jesus really came from. They know where he was born. They know that he came from the house in the line of David. They know that Jesus checks all of those prophetic boxes. But the crowds didn't. And so we can kind of stand back and go, oh, we know something that you don't. And yet if we choose not to act on that, then we're no, you know, in no better position than those who rejected Jesus because he didn't fit what they expected the Messiah to look like. Let's keep going. Verse 45. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you guys bring him in? He was right there. Why didn't you arrest him? Well, no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guard said. You mean he deceived you as well, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Let's just say that the Pharisees had a very low opinion of the great unwashed that were the, the people that followed their lead. A- and they basically write off Jesus. And I think this is another funny moment where, you know, they go, hey, listen, look at us. We're the educated. Have any of us even entertained the thought that this Jesus could be anything other than a charlatan? Of course not. And yet we, the readers, know that that's not necessarily true as well. Because there are some within their ranks who have been. Drawn to Jesus in ways that make them feel uncomfortable, that they're really not willing to be op- you know, forthright about because they're afraid of the consequences of coming out and being known as somebody who's considering Jesus as more than just a charlatan. Probably the, the 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 one that we know the best is Nicodemus, one of their own number, who came to Jesus at night to ask a bunch of questions and left with more questions than answers. But but truly, his heart was beginning to be burdened for it. We know. That he's been entertaining these thoughts and in fact John wants us to know that Nicodemus has been uh, you know considering these things and so the very next person to speak is in fact Nicodemus verse 50 Nicodemus who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number asked well hey wait a minute doesn't does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing in other words Are we the kind of people who just write somebody off and condemn them without giving them a fair trial, without allowing them to share their perspective? And apparently, the answer for the Jewish leadership is yes, because their response to him is, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee, even though there are a couple of their prophets who did, in fact, come from that region. And even though we know, that jesus wasn't born in galilee he was born in bethlehem and he was born in the house in the line of david so even there we once again get to stand back and kind of maybe smirk a little bit internally that we know something that the pharisees don't as if we would be any different if jesus were to show up and this is where i have to check myself because i want to judge the pharisees for their hard-heartedness for the ways in which they washed their hands of Jesus without really giving him a fair shot. They have hardened their hearts towards him because he doesn't fit what they expected, and he challenges the status quo. In other words, he challenges their grip on power in that city, and because of that, he's a danger. And they are willing, in fact, and we will find later on, they are willing to side with the oppressor to shut Jesus up rather than entertain the fact that perhaps their understanding of how God works is wrong. And I would love to sit there with a smirk on my face as if I would be different if I had been there and I had been one of their number, but I don't know that I would be. Because let's be honest, religious arrogance is insidious. It is easily flows into our hearts in ways where we think the more (laughs) the more humble we think we are the more prideful we're actually being right the more we focus on doing the right things i got to make sure i'm at church on time which some of you don't have that problem so you know you're safe there um but i i've got i've got to read a certain amount of chapters every night even though perhaps there's one verse out of the whole thing that god just impresses on your heart but i gotta i gotta do the legalistic thing I've got I've to do my 10%. You, give, you, you, you don't give with a joyful heart, but you still make sure you give that 10%. You know, the ways in which you talk, the ways in which you act, the ways in which you parent begin to, to feel cold and lifeless and dead as if you were simply following a, a, a rule book as opposed to having a relationship. I would love to think that I would be different from the Pharisees. And yet, if Jesus were to walk in here today, one, my guess is he would look very different from us. He probably wouldn't be the kind of person that we go, there's Jesus right there. And he would probably begin to challenge things that all of us hold as an obvious. He would begin to challenge the ways in which we go about doing things. He would begin to challenge Even some of the ways that we have inadvertently or perhaps vertently put ourselves in between God and others. The ways that I I may have unintentionally made you dependent upon me to have a conversation with God when in fact you don't need to. You can have a conversation with them at any point. You don't need to be in this building. You are temples of the living God. The Holy Spirit resides in you. You don't have to be here. We gather here because we're family, and this is kind of like our, our staff meeting before we get to go out and be the church throughout the rest of the week. But he would challenge, my guess is, if he were to show up today, even though we think we know better than the Pharisees, he would challenge much of how we approach God. He would challenge many of the traditions that we hold so tightly to that they have become pseudo-gods to us. And I just have to say that Jesus didn't give his life to found a new religion. He didn't give his life to simply hand us more rules and more thou shalt or thou shalt nots, as if those are the things that save us. He gave his life to restore us back into relationship with our Heavenly Father. He gave his life so that we could experience life that is truly life, even as we walk through this broken, sin-warped world. So that no matter how much manure the world throws at us, and let's be honest, the last 18 months, we've got heaping helpings of manure in our lives. And yet, the more manure that life throws at us, that we would be the kind of people who would see that manure actually be turned into fruit, spiritual fruit. Fruit like love for everyone, even the unlovable ones in your life. And, and joy even in the midst of all circumstances, not just the good times. And peace in the face of some really horrendous circumstances, and patience with a lot of people who make us very impatient. Kindness. though, this is a hard one, right? Kindness towards people that we really want to tell off and people who we don't feel really deserve a whole lot of kindness. People that don't show us a lot of kindness. Goodness. Self-control, this is the kind of fruit that he wants to produce in our life, even in the midst of the manure that just keeps getting heaped upon us. And I would love to say that all we need to do is try harder. That's the Pharisee's response, always. Just try harder. Just do better. That has never produced anything but guilt and shame. That has never done anything but made us feel further away from God and less worthy of him and i would just say we need to stop shooting on ourselves okay stop shooting you don't you, you should do this you should do that you should do that that's what i'm saying please if you if you misheard and thought i was lisping no stop shooting on yourself and upon other people we don't need any more legalism Jesus came to break legalism. Jesus came to expose the emptiness of legalism, came to knock down the ladders that people had put against the walls that said, this is how you climb into God's good graces. And he said, you can never climb into God's good graces because every time you climb the ladder, the higher you go, the more self-sufficient you think you are and the further from God you really are because you are no closer to God than when you are on your knees with tears in your eyes and recognizing, I can't do it by myself. I'm the first to say I am not a Christ follower because I have everything together. I am the first to admit that I am a Christ follower because I am jacked up and I desperately need a Savior. In Jesus' name. All right? So may we stop shooting upon ourselves and upon one another. May we st- Jesus didn't give his life to found a religion, Jesus gave his life to restore us back into relationship with him. And to give us life that is truly life. So that our lives will be different. But the spheres of influence in which we live will be transformed. But we can't do that by our own energy. We can't do it on our own. This is where we become hyper-dependent upon him. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. Because Jesus made it very clear. You guys want God's blessing upon this place. You want to see transformation in your life. You want to see change. Great. I'm the source of that. Come to me. Because if you come to me, I will give you the ability to be terraformed from the inside out. I will give you the Holy Spirit. This living water that you keep praying for, I will give you the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that has been empowering me throughout my earthly ministry, the same Spirit that will raise Him from the dead. That Spirit can be present and active in you. And if that Spirit is present and active in you, then not only will your life be changed, but your sphere of influence will be changed, your home will be changed, your neighborhood will begin to be changed. Your workplace, your school, the places that you hang out when you don't have to be at one of those other places. Those places will be impacted because you are there. And more specifically, the Spirit of God is there in you. That's how things change. So come to me. Because if you do, spirit of living water, you know, streams of living water will begin to well up in you. And despite the fact that we live in a world that is a lot like a desert, where everything just kind of starts sucking the hope out of us and sucking the joy out of us and trying to kill all peace and joy and love in our hearts, the Spirit of God begins to saturate the ground, and it's amazing to see the desert bloom. Those of you who go out to Temecula, places like that, that can typically be dry and brown, I mean, think about when the rains come. And how beautiful those desert flowers are. They don't last very long here, but where the Spirit of the Lord is, not only is there freedom internally, not only is there freedom from legalism, but there is fruit and beauty that everybody takes notice of. And so, are you thirsty? Because I can tell you I'm thirsty. I am thirsty for the Holy Spirit because by myself, I keep trying to do things by myself. I keep trying to be a better father and a better husband and a better example to people I come into contact with. And a better person who posts on social media. As if I'm going to somehow, you know, change someone's mind over the internet. Yeah, good luck on that one. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, transformation happens. May it begin in us, and may it begin to flow into our spheres of influence, so that others would not look at us and say, wow, you've got it together, but they would look to the one that we find our hope in, and find their hope in him as well. So I'm going to pray for us as I invite the worship team to come forward, and this is what we're going to do this morning. I haven't spoken for very long, because at the end of the day, I don't need to speak for very long. It's pretty clear what we need to do. We need to invite the Holy Spirit to come and pour himself in, to saturate our hearts so that when we walk out of here, we're way more soggy and we're, it, the Holy Spirit is slopping over into all of the areas of our life. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to fall upon us. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to flow into our lives and cleanse out those dark recesses that we've closed the closet door on because we're kind of ashamed of it. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to to saturate our hearts so that spiritual fruit can begin to form. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and have his way in us. So let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, I am so grateful that because of Jesus' obedience to the Father, you are available to us. I'm grateful for the reminder this morning that we are not expected to to be good people by our own strength. We'll be the first to admit that we can never do that. It's a losing endeavor. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Would you fall upon us? Would you begin to cleanse any area of our life that is not in alignment with our holy, with with the Father? If there are stones of sin or stones of shame that have been clogging the streams that you want to pour into us, or are clogging our ears that have been hindering us from hearing your voice, then we pray that through the power of your presence, you would begin to push them out of the way. Holy Spirit, we invite you to saturate the soil of our hearts. Begin to heal those cracks that are dry and parched. So that you can begin to to bear fruit that lasts and fruit that nourishes not only our own lives but the people that are around us holy spirit have your way in us we pray jesus in your holy name amen hey guys we're not typically all that responsive as a church let's just be honest we like to sit or at the most stand and and today i want to give you a little bit more freedom to move around because sometimes often um our hearts follow the posture of our bodies. And so if you want to spend some time alone with God and the Holy Spirit, this space is open if you want to come kneel down or if you want to stand, stand. If you just want to stay seated and that's the way that you best can commune with Him, great. However it is that you want to respond is fine. But we're just going to spend some time communing with God and inviting the Holy Spirit to fall on this place. If there is something that you become aware of during this time, maybe it's an area of sin that he shines the spotlight on. The, the, this is not a time to go run and hide from that or, or to, to feel ashamed. This is a time to be honest and confess that. It's not like he doesn't already know. And in fact, he loves us in spite of that. That's the, the, the audacity of the gospel as he loves us in spite of it. So don't be ashamed of it. Rather, lay it down as an act of worship. And invite the Holy Spirit to fill you up so that you can better represent the heart of our Father God as we go about living our lives in a world that desperately needs Him. Let's worship together.
0: The Spirit of the Lord is here. The atmosphere is changing. spirit
1: Back Bay, many of you drive down Irvine Avenue and you, you cross Back Bay, and most of the year Back Bay is dry and barren. There's maybe some green shrub brush, but for the most part it's it's a pretty barren landscape. And then the rains come, and there's that season we're kind of coming out of right now where Back Bay becomes vibrant, where seeds that have been planted in the soil left from the year before begin to get enough moisture and all of a sudden they grow and the bushes tower overhead and everybody who drives by sees the beauty. Many of them stop, park their cars and go for a walk through the flowers because it's so breathtaking. Guys, that's my prayer for us. Because this last year has been pretty dry. The hope in your homes and in your hearts, my guess is, there's been some moments where it has felt like you are just in the middle of a desert And every time something starts going your way, it's like it evaporates. And I'm not here trying to say God wants to, you know, pour out his blessing and give you your wildest dreams. That's not what I'm here doing. I'm more saying, God, we desperately want your Holy Spirit to begin to, to nourish and nurture the seeds that are in the hearts of people in our own families whose hope has been bruised and beaten over this year. People whose faith has taken a beating, and honestly, it feels like it's on life support, if not already gone. People in our neighborhoods who have been so overwhelmed by their frustration that they're ready to just cash it in. Some people who are, committing, are con- considering suicide, even now. One of you who is hearing my voice might have been con- considering suicide as a way. And may I just remind you, that your Father God loves you and we are with you and we don't want you to walk through this alone and if that's you would you please let us know so that we can walk with you and hold you up you're not alone in being discouraged if you feel like your life your your faith is on life support if you just you just recognize that right now you are that dry soil it's cracked it feels like there's no fruit just know that we love you and we want to walk with you. And our prayer as a church body is that the Holy Spirit would begin to so saturate our lives that it would ha- it, it couldn't help but spill over into our homes and into the lives of the people that we, come o- we rub shoulders with all day long and that their lives would be impacted. It begins by saying, Spirit of God, fall fresh on me. Fill up this cavern of my soul So that I can't contain it It begins to overflow Into every other aspect of my life So that not only am I changed But my sphere of influence has changed That's the prayer that we bring today The blessing we are after Is not more affluence It is not bigger homes It is not more comfortable cars to drive Or more stuff That's what the world says blessing is And our Father God says no The blessing is my presence in your life is fruit that nourishes others. That's blessing. You have been blessed in order to be a blessing, and that is our invitation today to the Holy Spirit. That is my invitation. I'm going to pray it for me, I, I, I pray it for you if you want it as well. Father God, would you bless our lives with your presence so that others would be blessed and that they would be nourished and they would come to know you Know that you're real, not just some crutch that we use to get through the day, not just some dead, dry, legalistic book that has no bearing on our our modern lives. We pray that you would saturate the soil of our lives, saturate the soil of our society so that the seeds that have been lying dormant in the dirt begin to grow. And they, they present not only a beautiful bouquet to the world, but a beautiful fragrance to you. Help yourself to our lives, we pray, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. If you guys have prayer requests, or if you want to give financially, there's boxes in the back you can do so. I love you so much. I'm so grateful to be on this journey, and we will see you next week. If you would like to find out more about VBS, and how you can bring that into your sphere of influence, please head across the street and Sherry will be over there. If you have kids across the street, don't forget to pick them up too. Have a wonderful week.